Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. A few days ago, we were reflecting about our animal body, if you remember that time, and I was encouraging you to uh, connect with this animal body in a very visceral, direct way. So tonight, uh, I want to talk to you about the animal body part two, further explorations of being an animal. So this experience that some of you may have also had here um, in walking uh, down the road outside the gate. Um, And I live in the city in San Francisco in a very urban uh, neighborhood. So even though I spend a fair amount of time at Spirit Rock, um, some things are still a bit unusual for me. So as I was walking and I was walking alone, I encountered a flock of about maybe 20 turkeys, as you might have also done or seen around. And usually I don't uh, necessarily think so much about being human, uh, you know, in relationship to (laughs) others. But in this moment, suddenly I had some doubt about whether I could navigate the turkeys uh, successfully and safely and what their uh, intentions were. So they were all, you know, putting their feathers out and uh, puffing up and things like that. Um, and I'd sort of remind myself, like, okay, I am human. I am bipedal. It is okay, like, just to walk confidently, and they will part, you know. And <laughs> and uh, it was a good reminder because actually they did, right? <laughs> but I noticed the urban part of me was like, are they organized? You know, will they like? <laughs> I think I had a bowl of like breakfast. You know, do they want this? Like. Uh, What's going on with this, right? So it's a reminder that, you know, as much as uh, as encouraging you to connect with this animal body, but the animal world is a tough place too, isn't it? So in the animal world, there is a lot of aggression, there's violence, uh, there's uh, competition. Uh, there's a lot of pain and destruction, And there's a way in which we are also certainly part of that, you know, both as human animals in relationship to other animals, but even just as humans in relationship to each other. So you might remember back uh, what might seem like a long time ago in the beginning of the retreat when uh, Will uh, described to us the training precepts, so the guidelines for living together harmoniously in community, and guidelines for uh, integrity that we can follow. And just to remind you, the, the first three in particular, I think, are relevant for our animal nature. So the one is, first one is uh, undertake the training to rein, refrain from killing uh, living beings. So that points to the way in which in our animal nature, you could say, there does seem to arise within us uh, the urge for aggression, uh, urge for violence at times. 
And it's helpful for us to recognize this, you know, to not pretend that we're some uh, spiritual lofty being that doesn't also experience these kinds of very basic primal uh, urges. When we pretend it's not there is when those things can actually take us over. You know, we pretend we're not uh, angry. We pretend we're not uh, disturbed by something. But really that's driving us kind of underneath. So this uh, first training, this first precept is around uh, a killing, you know, actually the action, refraining from the action of killing or destroying life. But it can also be taken as an invitation to tune into this very powerful force of aggression that can arise within us, you know, this force for violence, and really to be interested in that, you know, to be curious about that. So we don't have to condemn that when we see this arising, but uh, to be tuned into that, uh, aware of that, and then to get to know that energy well without taking it out on another being, if possible. So you can notice, for example, if you're walking around and if you find yourself in some moment of aggression, you know, just what, like, what's happening here? You know, what's going on in this case? I found, for example, that it's often moments of fear that catalyze uh, those moments of aggression. So um, in, with the turkey encounter, I wasn't actually so scared of them. I was a bit nervous, but not enough that there was a sense of uh, I need to attack the turkeys or something like that, which also would have been um, a losing battle with 20 of them too, right? But sometimes there's some, I've noticed there's like a lizard or something that's like close, or I've seen a snake, and uh, there's fear. And then sometimes from the fear, there's catalyzed like some counter strike, right? Like sometimes it's just fear, and sometimes there's fear, and then the next thing that is catalyzed is actually uh, like, oh. And I don't act on that, but. It's interesting to see that. You know, it's helpful to see that and to observe that patterning. It both can give one some understanding, uh, compassion even, if you will, about the ways in which violence plays out in our world, you know, which it does in so many harmful ways. But also we can understand sort of like how this actions get constructed, how this being gets constructed, how in that moment, moment the story of like me and lizard or me and snake, you know, uh, takes hold. And then these energies, these very powerful energies coursing through this animal body can cause some kind of action. Second one, I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not freely offered. So in this case, there's a specific action that we're renouncing, but it also calls upon us to notice the arising energy of greed, you know, the arising energy of like, I want that, I need that, you know, sort of acquisitiveness. And likewise, it's helpful for us to recognize that this arises within us. And it arises within us at times in which the thing that we want is not ours. 
So feel how that drives us. Feel the pain of that pattern. You feel the suffering of that. So this also is part of the uh, animal world. Like you'll see animals just going and taking things that they want. Right? Like uh, even dogs will do this from each other. Right? The toy or food. Uh, the bigger dog will just go and get it, and uh, you know that's. Uh, they'll sometimes have a fight, but that's how it plays out. And then the third training, undertake the training, in our case here, was to refrain from sexual activity. Uh, as lay people in the regular world, it's to refrain from harmful sexual activity. So sexual misconduct, which is defined as uh, coercing someone, uh, both overtly physically, but even like sexual harassment, something like that. Um, breaking the vows that you've made around sexuality, uh, engaging with someone who is younger, which is like a child, uh, or in the employment, so there's some power differential. Now in retreat, we undertake this more radical training to refrain from sexual activity, and it's not because this is a bad energy, right? It's not because sexuality is inherently uh, evil or something like that. So this also is part of our natural animal life, and you'll see animals uh, playing this out. Certainly if any of you have dogs, you'll see your dogs uh, indiscriminately humping other dogs or furniture or sometimes your dinner guests uh, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, right? So yeah, there's this energy, this uh, force that moves through us um, and there are times in which we might have the urge to act in a way that is inappropriate or that will harm someone or that we'll later regret or that's going against the vows that we have. So this period and retreat is a, a powerful opportunity to tune into this energy, you know, to become aware of that and with the constraints of our form here to learn uh, what does this feel like, how does this drive me, what are the thoughts that arise? You know, what are the sensations in the body that arise? Uh, what are the ways in which this obsesses the mind? Yeah. And so from that, there's a lot that can be learned that's extremely helpful for moving out of this form, whether you choose to be celibate or engaged in sexual activity in some way. So in the uh, animal body, we have all these urges. And then, as you've noticed, as we tune into our experience as humans, there's also this experience of the mind. So there's this uh, materiality, if you will, this physical form, and then that which courses through. And then there's also this mentality, so mind states, a mental uh, stream of experience connected And in the mental activity, we actually have this um, extremely quick and high mobility potential, you could say. The animal body is, is grounded in the earth and eating, drinking, these urges, things like that. But in the mentality, you could say, uh, we have the ability to 
travel very quickly from the heavenly realms, blissful, beautiful, peaceful, spacious, generous, and all the way down to the hell realms in the snap of a finger. And you probably have experienced this in possibly even one period of practice. So our practice then also is to tune into this aspect and how this plays out in our life. These different energies that arise, the mind, the body, uh, aggression, acquisitiveness, sexual desire, And then noticing also the other side. So for each of the training precepts that we took, there's in some ways like a uh, positive corollary that you could uh, come up with. So I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. Uh, We could actually take a vow to provide safety to living beings, provide security as best we can to protect life. So that's a beautiful impulse that comes from a wholesome place. The training to refrain from taking that which is not freely offered. We could create another vow, which is a vow to be generous, to let go of that which is not necessary, and actually to act on generosity and kindness towards others, (coughs) with possessions, with time, with resources, with attention. So we can see the wholesome qualities that are possible, and then also the unwholesome, you could say. And the Buddhist path, uh, this aspect of meditation that we're participating in is one dimension, important dimension of the path of awakening. Another one is actually tuning into what is the cause of suffering? What is actually suffering? And what is freedom from suffering? And to do this, we engage in these trainings around observing our mind, observing our body, cultivating wise view, So as part of this practice, as part of this enterprise, in the beginning we're encouraging you to be mindful, just know everything just as it is. And if you remember, I did that sort of folding paper exercise of uh, the things that we push away. And then the first part of our practice is actually to allow ourselves to be with, to see everything that comes through. So no part left out. The second dimension to that, which is tuning in as we do that to what is suffering and what is not suffering. So what leads to well-being for myself and others and what leads away from that. And the Buddha himself undertook a kind of an experiment in this when he was uh, himself a practitioner, when he was a Bodhisattva, he says. So he decided he would undertake this uh, experiment, and he said, on one side, I'll place these intentions, these states of mind, like generosity, 
uh, compassion, kindness. And then the other side, I'll place these states of mind that arise, like hatred, um, ill will, jealousy. And I'll be really honest with myself in this experiment. And this is a very helpful thing for us as spiritual practitioners, to be really honest with yourself, even if you wouldn't tell anyone else what it is that you have discerned. So to be really honest with yourself, what's coming up? And if it's something in this area of the kindness, compassion, generosity, how is that? Or what does that seem to lead to for himself, for others? And if it's something in this other area, the hatred, aggression area, what seems to come up from that for himself and others? And so basically from this experiment, he discerned like, oh, these ones are, are skillful. These are helpful. Generosity, compassion, love. These other ones are unskillful, unhelpful. And that division is not like a, a good evil kind of thing. It's, it's really pragmatic in some way. You know, like this path is very pragmatic of what's going to lead to well-being for oneself and others and what's going to lead to suffering. Now, I know some of you have gotten already a very uh, big hit of this through being plagued by some of these states, particularly of the uh, unskillful variety, you could say. And the skillful, unskillful thing, you could think of it even like a, a craftsperson, sort of like skillful for creating this object. In the suttas, they talk about like a potter, like what's skillful to make this pot or a carpenter. You know, what would be skillful to create this stage or this floor, right? So I invite you to observe in yourself when these different states arise that are plaguing you of anger, of jealousy, of hatred, of aggression, of acquisitiveness. Like, what is that like in this moment within me? Now, because there's often an identification with that, then... Sometimes the first thing that comes up is uh, like, oh no, I shouldn't be feeling this, like a pushing away of this. So if that comes up, then be present with that. So that is aversion, right? That is a pushing away and tune into what that's like. Feel the suffering of that. Feel the suffering and the contraction of that state. And a lot of practice is like that. So a lot of practice is becoming intimate in a very deep, visceral, direct way with experiences of suffering. Now, you might think, like, I don't think they put that on the brochure ad for this retreat. You know, come to become deeply, intimately connected with experiences of suffering. <laughs> did we put that? I don't think we did. No. We, edited that, huh? oh, we edited it. Yeah, well said, yeah. <laughs> Those of you who have been on retreat before kind of probably knew in some way this was, uh, <laughs> this was up, right? 
But I, I, I want to encourage you that this is actually the noble path. You know, this is actually a, the noble and courageous path to freedom. And notice the, the mind that tries to figure out, like, what's some way around this? You know, what's some way that I can, like, dodge this? Uh, sometimes it has to do with machinating, like, well, what did I do wrong that there's this experience of suffering? What does that other person seem to be doing who looks like they're not suffering to me? What happened the last retreat when I had a much more pleasant experience? You know, where did I sit? Where did I walk? Right? What happened in that time? So we can spend a lot of time in this resistance, resistance to actually being with difficult experiences and thinking there's something wrong. There's something wrong because this has appeared. I think I mentioned this um, earlier in the retreat, but it's such an easy and common trap to fall into to think when the meditation is pleasant, it's good. And when meditation is unpleasant, it's bad. When I have pleasant experiences, I'm a good meditator. When I have unpleasant experiences, I'm a bad meditator. So as a meditation teacher, I would say, you know, all of those experiences are something we can learn from. So it's actually good when there are experiences of spaciousness, of joy, of peacefulness. If that arises, allow yourself to know that fully. Allow your system to acclimatize in some way to what that's like. Like fully investigate that as well. In some ways it's kind of like a raising the bar for us, like showing us there's something else that is possible, you know, that we can remember. So that's like really exploring these wholesome states. And it is a thin line between then, you know, when do we shift to clinging to those states uh, versus investigating, exploring, resting in, allowing, abiding in. But you can notice the clinging starting when there's a contraction. So when there starts to be a painfulness about it in some way. And then tune into that. So these unwholesome states that arise, these painful states that arise are also equally worthy of attention and also as much the path to freedom, to liberation. So if any part of you was like, ah, this painful retreat, you know, if only I could have had have what I had the last retreat. You know, I want what that guy's having. He seems very peaceful. So my experience has been that there's really no way out but through. If there was, I would tell you. But it's worth it to come to the other side. So because our our life has within it these experiences of suffering, because this arises within our mind, because this arises within our body, it's worthy of attention also. 
And through the attention we bring to it, we can actually learn so much. In this way, our system starts to tune in to like, oh, what's going on in this state? And we actually can learn through our own direct experience that, for example, obsessive jealousy is not a helpful state of mind, not something you want to dwell in, not something you want to cultivate. So, but unfortunately, we have to learn this for ourselves. You know, you could intellectually think that. You could try and talk yourself out of it, but it usually doesn't work. And the, the process of practice seems to be something like also tuning into deeper and deeper levels of suffering. So maybe in the beginning of the path, and often a reason why people have come to Dharma practice is because they had some acute suffering in their life. So for many people, there was a big loss. So there was an experience of death or illness a breakup, a loss of a job. Some sudden rupture in the course of what we thought was going to be our plan for our life. This is probably the number one entryway into spiritual practice, suffering. So if you have entered through that door, you are in very good company a company that goes back centuries and centuries. And then maybe after a while, that first level of uh, difficulty of dukkha clears up a little bit. But then when we tune in like with a little more awareness, a little more sensitivity, suddenly there's like a whole nother layer of difficulty of dukkha. It's kind of like a layer of suffering that we didn't even worry about before. So then as we become more sensitive and this becomes revealed, okay, this is what is to be known, this aspect of suffering, of difficulty. So I think of it as like if you uh, go into a room and it's like extremely messy, you know, and if you get kind of acclimatized to that, then you don't even really see it. But after it gets cleaned up a little bit, then you start to notice when some things are more out of place. And then if it gets cleaned up more, then you notice even smaller things out of place. And then if it's super clean, you can even notice the dust, things like that. Or maybe it's like as we're walking and it feels like there's something very uncomfortable in our shoe. And we look and see there's like a rock in the shoe. And then we go along some more and then it feels like, oh, there's still something in the shoe. Then you take it off and there's actually some pebbles there. And you keep walking and and then suddenly it's like uncomfortable still. You open it up and there's sand there. So you wouldn't have felt the sand when there was the rocks. right? You wouldn't have felt the pebbles when there was the rocks. And once you remove the rock, you just assume like, oh, I'm good to go now, right? It's fine. But you could look at this as a positive sign of development that as we discover more and more layers of suffering, we're actually 
becoming attuned to that which was there already, which has been in our life, which has been driving us. And as we become more aware of that, more uh, deeply intimate with the nature of that suffering, our system can both in some way like learn to let go of that. Also, we can develop more compassion for others who are going through this at the same time. So this is a description in some ways of going very deep and detailed to feel the experience in the body, experience in the mind, and to recognize uh, suffering and freedom. There's also a way in which sometimes it can be helpful to expand out our view. And this is part of the Dhamma also. There's also part of uh, disidentifying with our story in some way. There are many things that happen to us within the course of our human life that are difficult. And here's the list the Buddha described as... uh, Dukkha or suffering, difficulty. A birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. Association with the unbeloved is dukkha. Separation from the loved is dukkha. Not getting what you want is dukkha. In short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. So even though our lives in many ways seem to be unfolding in some unique way, whatever it is that is your experience of difficulty right now, you can be assured that you are not alone in that difficulty either in this moment or certainly across time. And there's a way in which it's helpful to reflect on that, to remind oneself of that, to pull oneself out sometimes of the story of me and my problems. So usually we're caught very much in this story of me and what's wrong, you know, me and what I have to figure out, me and what I don't have. Anything that's happened to you has also happened to someone else. So when I was uh, driving here in the beginning of the retreat, um, suddenly there started to be a strange noise when I was on the 101 and a scraping sound. And I thought that maybe I'd run over something that was like lodged under the car. So then I tried like swerving lightly and slowing different speeds to dislodge it. Um, and it didn't dislodge. So then I pulled over to the side of the highway, which is uh, like not the uh, not my favorite thing to do. You know, I mean, this car is going by very fast. And I looked down, and there's like some piece of the uh, underneath of the car that is not an engine piece, but like something holding to the lower fender had uh, fallen out for some reason. And it was like dragging on the ground. 
So I tried to kind of jimmy it back in some way enough to get to Spirit Rock, as, uh, and that kind of worked. I drove slower, you know. But uh, in that moment, I was part of the fellowship of people with car trouble, you know. Like, it could be like, why me? Why now? Why is this happening? Right? But, you know, how many times have I driven on 101 and see people stopped looking at their car quizzically in the way that I was, you know, or with a tow truck, or uh, in some worse state of crashed uh, accident, something like that. So anytime something happens, like, oh, okay, part of the fellowship of this flavor of of dukkha. Um, I know there's a number of people here who had had people close to them die. You don't know all of the other ones here, but there are many others, right? And this is true in the world at large. You are not alone with this experience of sorrow, with this experience of grief. You're part of the fellowship of those who have lost someone that they loved. Some people have had an illness, a life-threatening illness diagnosis. Or even something smaller that is difficult, a sprained ankle or difficulty with eyesight, anything. So in those moments you can remember, like, oh, I'm part of this fellowship of people who are dealing with bad health. Or even more specifically, you know, with whatever it is I'm handling right now. There's a fellowship of people on crutches. There's a fellowship of um, people who have the flu. There's a fellowship of people who have cancer. There's a fellowship of people going through chemotherapy. There's a fellowship of people who are uh, breaking up from a relationship or a marriage. There's a fellowship of people struggling with their teenage children. And there are also fellowships that you may or may not have connected with. There's a fellowship of people going hungry. A fellowship of people who have nowhere to sleep. Fellowship of people who are scared in a war-torn country. So if we can bring some awareness to this, and when we're even in a very difficult place, there's a way in which we can allow our suffering to be known also for the sake of all these beings who are suffering. There's a way in which you could hold your practice of struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with. There's some intention for learning from this, for seeing this as it is, not just for your own sake and your own story, but actually for the sake of all those in the fellowship of suffering of humanity. We can expand even to all living beings as many of these sufferings are there for uh, other animals as well. I haven't seen uh, this particular turkey here yet this time, but uh, there's one turkey who has like a kind of club foot, and so he's like limps around a little bit. 
And uh, whenever I see that turkey, I think, oh, the fellowship of the limping animals, which I have been in myself at different times. So you can even take this intention if it's helpful for you, you know, during some time when you're struggling with something that's difficult. So try to remember this, like, oh yeah, not just me, you know, open up. Holding this with all those beings who are suffering. And in some ways appreciating that you have some tools to deal with this. You know, whether or not you do it perfectly, uh, you have come quite some way in the journey of awakening, to be here on retreat, to have made it through many days, to be curious, to be interested. If it gives you some energy, some heart for being with difficulty, you can almost take an intention like, may I be with this uh, for the sake of all of those who are suffering in this way? May I learn from this experience, this state? May the liberation that comes from this be for all beings in the fellowship of suffering. So our intention in this way uh, takes us to the higher levels of our uh, mental planes we could be on. And we could easily fall into uh, levels of feeling sorry for ourselves or struggling If you do, you can also remember that you can hold yourself with compassion. It's very helpful to remember this. It's kind of like um, the help function in the universe that uh, you might have forgotten about. Like you're struggling to do something and sometimes I do this in some program, like I'm struggling to do this in some computer program, something, and I don't know how to do it. And then suddenly I remember like, oh, there's a help thingy. I could go there and like write some words and maybe it'll tell me what to do, right? So compassion is actually something similar to this. If, you, if you're struggling, like, oh, I don't know, what, how, I know there was some advice, what? Like, oh, this is struggle. May I be free from suffering? Even just as simple as that, you know, connect with that intention of compassion. So this animal world is a precarious one for us. And we have actually found ourselves in uh, very positive circumstances for members of the animal kingdom to be on retreat, to be in a place where we have a comfortable roof, place to sleep, safe, which we have food, and even more rare in which we have uh, access to the Dhamma and teachings of liberation, in which we ourselves have the good health, physical and mental health to be able to practice, and in which we have the sincerity of heart and other circumstances of our life that allows us to be here. There's a reflection also encouraged in uh, 
Dharma practice that we don't know when things will change for us. Some of you have been on retreats before and remember those retreats and it might be like you think, oh yeah, I'll do another retreat. Maybe you're already planning your retreat as well. Uh, suggested planning your three-month retreat and stuff like that. It's helpful to remember, like, we, we don't know what's going to happen, you know. Let me be here as best I can. Appreciate the circumstances that I have now for practice and yeah, be present as best I can. Uh, learn as much as I can uh, for my own sake and for all those beings who I'll encounter in the future. Let's sit together for a moment and connect with our good hearts. We can come back to the sense of the animal body sitting. You can feel the weightiness on the earth, the ground. There might be some aches and pains or areas of difficulty. So we can see if we can hold these with a sense of kindness. A part of the animal experience, part of our human life. Part of the fellowship of difficulty with the body. Whatever the suffering that we might have right now, they're also suffering that all others have. can connect with a a sense of goodwill and a compassion for everyone here. All the different stories of life people have gone through, difficulties, suffering of the body, suffering of the mind. May we all be free from suffering. rest in connection with all those beings even outside of our center here. All those who are struggling, whatever their walk of life, in the human realm, in the animal realm, in all countries, in all circumstances. Our practice of liberation is not just for ourselves, but for all of these beings. May we all be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May we all grow in wisdom and in love.
thank you for your attention and thank you for your practice. Chance for animal walking. And then we would come in for our uh, final animal sitting.